This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Can I say this morning, I'm a good Pentecostal boy. I've heard about that book of Acts my whole life. Okay? It's the go-to in Pentecostal churches. When in doubt, bring out Acts chapter 2. It works every time. (laughs) And I'm excited because I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. And it gets me really excited. And I I honestly believe that, that God is not only preparing us for outpouring, which is what we talked about last week, but God is going to teach us today how to position ourselves for an outpouring. Not just to prepare, but to position. I learned many, many years ago when I used to help coaching sports teams, and whether it was basketball or volleyball or football or anything else, one of the things that I've realized is you can do the drills all day long. You can work on the skills all day long. You can actually sit in a room and learn all the X's and O's of a game plan. And you can have talent and knowledge. But if your team is not positioned properly, it doesn't matter how talented one person is, you'll lose every time. You want proof? Look at any NFL team that's got an awesome quarterback and no offensive line. It doesn't matter how good the quarterback is. It doesn't matter how good the running back is. If you've got no offensive line that that has the courage and the guts to block for them, then it doesn't matter what they do. God wants to teach us this morning how to position our hearts and how to position our lives. For outpouring. I don't know about you. And I don't say this disrespectfully in any way. But I am really tired of playing church. And I, not that we've ever had that attitude towards impact in 10 years. We've never had. But I just feel like we're in a new chapter, a new season. And I feel like God's about ready to really mess us up. And I like it. So, for those that experienced something good two weeks ago, and for those that experienced something really good last week, I have a statement to make to you this morning. There is more. So, last week was awesome. Two weeks ago was awesome. And I'm hearing stories from a lot of people that this past week, as in days at work and days at home have been awesome. That's all good, but there's more. God wants to do something more today. We shared last week, Joel 2.28, and and I love this verse. It says, and it will be that afterwards I will pour out my spirit on some flesh. On all flesh. And the response will be that your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. There is more. Pouring out Pouring out. Think about this for a second. Does Niagara Falls ever stop? Why? Because there's a constant pouring out. It never stops. It doesn't matter if it's minus 40. For 25 straight days, it doesn't stop. It never stops. The presence of God never stops. There is more. Never stops. There's a whole other level that God wants to show you today. There's an interesting verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, and I want to just start off with this verse just to give some context as to where we're going to go. And just to give the the context of the story, um, 
you know, nations, literally three different nations coming against the nation of Israel. They have to respond in battle. And here is the response of God to the leadership of Israel that day. They said, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And what caught my attention was this phrase, position yourself. Sometimes we have the greatest intentions and the greatest ideas and the greatest strategies, and God is simply saying, position yourself. Can I say, without, obviously, without Pastor Ray and I even talking, that word surrender was a positional word. How many know that when you're in charge and you're in control, you're constantly doing something? You're constantly pressing through. You're constantly striving for something. And God says, surrender. Well, isn't that foreign to our thinking? Well, I thought we're supposed to do something. No, He wants us to be a human being first before we are a human doing. To be or not to be. (laughs) That is the question. I've heard that around somewhere. I don't know where that came from, but it was... No, I'm just kidding. It's something famous. But when I looked up this phrase, position yourself, and I looked it up in the actual Hebrew, here is literally what it means. It means to present oneself ready. Ha! I don't know about you guys this morning, but I'm ready. You know, there's some people that come into your life and they say, get ready. And I'm like, I'm already there. Get ready for what? I've been waiting for this for like years. I'm ready. And there's moments where God says, get ready. And I think that was the warning from last week. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Get your hearts right. Work on whatever you got to work on, but lay it down. Today, he's going to teach us how to position ourselves for an outpouring. Do you believe that this morning? Preparing for an outpouring is foundational, but positioning yourself for an outpouring is what will cause sustainable things to happen over the long haul. I want long haul. I want legacy. I want longevity. I want inheritance. I don't know about you. Amen? Amen. So, we're literally going to camp on the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6 today, and pretty much that's where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. Just on the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6, but before I do that, I want to give a little bit of background on the book of Isaiah, just as a context, just so we can understand uh, who he is and why his life was significant. First thing is this, is there was a phrase used to describe God over 30 times in the book of Isaiah, and it's literally referring to God as the Holy One of Israel. Not the glorious one, not the mighty one, not anything else, but the Holy One of Israel. It's repeated over 30 times. There's some debate whether it's 30 or 31, so I'll just say around 30 times. Isaiah himself is known as the prophet of redemption. How do we know that? Because the mo- literally there's over 60 references to Messianic prophecy into Christ. In the book of Isaiah. Story of redemption. The Messiah was the Redeemer. And so I want to say this morning, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't even matter where you were last night and what you were doing. But it does matter right now that you make a decision to drop last night or last week or last month or the last 10 years for some of you and say, God, I want you to redeem my mess. I'm sitting up here, I'm standing here today not because I have got it all together, not because I have arrived. I'm here today because I'm a story of God's redemption. 
It's the only thing that empowers me to be here. Let him make you a trophy of his grace this morning. Let him make you that trophy and then see a picture this morning of him putting you on his trophy case. A trophy of his grace. That's who you are. And you know what he loves to do? He loves to show them off. Oh, look at that guy. That's Cameron. You should have saw what he did 20 years ago. He was messed up. He was the guy that used to drive me nuts. And then all the angels would complain, you know, in our private meetings. They'd complain about this guy. Will he ever get it? And everyone in heaven said no. But Jesus kept saying, but wait. I think I can still get him. All of us are stories of his redemption. Isaiah's ministry lasted 50 years. And his story was a story of redemption. Let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read the whole thing first, and then I'm going to kind of pick it apart. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lift, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. I've always read that and go, I've always read that as if that was God crying out. But the posts of the door were shaken by the seraphim that cried out. Could you imagine if God cried out? Wow. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Another word for that would be sin. And your sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. You've probably, if you've been around church any length of time, you've probably heard a message on Isaiah chapter 6. So I'm not here to repeat that. I'm not here to steal anyone else's thunder because what I believe God has shown me is completely different. Um, I've actually had a fun week just kind of diving into this, these eight verses and seeing some things that I've never seen before. Um, Interestingly enough, it starts by saying in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I've heard this, this passage preached for years that in the year that pride died, I saw the Lord. Because at the end of Uzziah's life, he literally um, became proud, got leprosy, and died. But there's some other things I want you to understand here. Uzziah came to power at the age of 16 and reigned for 52 years. He was actually known as a good king for most of his life. He was known as a powerful king. He, his name literally means God is my strength or God is my power. That's his name. This wasn't a bad guy. This is a guy that got off track. He reigned during chaotic times. The northern kingdom at the time was falling and, and there was chaos abounding. And literally from the moment he stepped into power, they were at war. He never ever saw that cease. He was at war the whole time. 
The only thing he knew was chaos. The only thing he saw was war. The only thing he experienced was tough decision after tough decision after tough decision. I don't know about you, but that's not something I would necessarily want to sign up for. But that's what he signed up for. But in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, it says this, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord as God. In 2 Chronicles 26, 21, it says, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, banned from the temple of the Lord. Every time I've heard this preached, I hear this phrase, you know, in the year that pride died, I had a revelation of God. Now, is that a good point? I think it's a good point. I think it's a really good point. Um, I think it's something we should really think about. In, in the year that pride died, God showed up. How do I know? That's my life story. <laughs> the moment pride died, God showed up in a significant way. But I want to share with you key number one. I know we're kind of going backwards in, in the, the notes here. But key number one that I want to share with you this morning as to positioning yourself is simply this. You have to position yourself with the unfamiliar. What do I mean by that? Well, I found something this week that I'd never seen before, ever, in my life. Did you know that Uzziah was Isaiah's first cousin? And as soon as I noticed that, I'm like, this is interesting. And I want, I want to go on a little journey about this word familiar, or if I can say it, unfamiliar. Um, because I think this absolutely paints an incredible picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for us today. And so I want you to track along with me for the next couple of minutes because I think this is incredibly important. Isaiah started his ministry at the end of Uzziah's reign. He only had, some scholars believe, maybe a year, maybe months. But there wasn't a lot of time that had taken place between the end of Uzziah's reign as king and when Isaiah started his ministry. So when he started his ministry, King Uzziah was still on the throne. Now, he wasn't doing so well, but he was still on the throne. Can I say this morning, Isaiah started in his ministry with someone he was familiar with. I want you to think about this for a second. Not only did he start his ministry with someone he was familiar with, but he also started a ministry in which the king was familiar with him. The king having all the authority, all the power, all of the ability to back up his own prophetic credibility and role in the nation of Israel. He was familiar with him too. I don't know about you, but familiar breeds comfort zones. It breeds these little boxes that we like to kind of sit in because we're comfortable there. And I can honestly say, if I'm putting myself in Isaiah's shoes, I would not have want King Uzziah to die. Because he's the guy that could have backed me up. He's, he's the guy that could have, uh, you know, when I step out in faith, I would have known he had my back. If I had to have a prophetic word over the nation of Israel that was cut, maybe corrective in nature or judgment in nature, I would have known that he would have at least given credibility to my personal role and responsibility in whatever it is that I was doing. He had my back. Can I say this morning, if we can put a different word on Uzziah, we'll put the word familiar. In the year that what is familiar to us dies, we'll see the Lord. Interestingly enough, that word see doesn't just mean to see. It actually means to perceive or to have vision. Isaiah didn't have vision of the Lord until something familiar died. 
Why is this important? Because I honestly believe that in everything that we do, we create crutches that we lean on. What happens if God removes the crutch? Then who are we leaning on? Everything with the Holy Spirit, we create areas with the Holy Spirit that we're comfortable with, maybe that we're familiar with, that we've been around long enough, so we're good there. Well, it's okay, Lord, if you move at a deeper night like this. But I'm not so sure about that. We stood as a leadership team at the back of the room on Saturday night in the encounter. We looked at each other and we went, what do you think we should do? I don't know. Um, maybe just jump in the river and join in the fun. Sounds good. Took my water wings off. Got rid of my life jacket and I was in the deep end all of about 20 seconds. There's a moment that comes in all of our lives where what is familiar becomes the very thing that hinders the overflow. That actually hinders the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives because we've declared to Him, Lord, I'm only going to do what You've called me to do when I've got familiar things around me. Some of you are thinking this morning, oh, I want to get baptized, but I don't know if I can do it. Shake off what's familiar. Your blue chair is familiar. But just remember, this is going to be a very warm hot tub. So sometimes you have to let go of something in order to take something else. I remember seeing this picture that was sent to me years ago. And it's Jesus bending down, reaching out for this little girl's broken, like just beat up little teddy bear. It's just this tiny little teddy bear. And it's got literally these rips and these shreds and all these marks on it. It just looks beat up. And the little girl, probably about four or five years old, just doesn't want to give up this little teddy bear. But what she doesn't see is there's a six-foot plush toy, plush teddy bear right behind Jesus that he's ready to give her, but she just has to give it over. We have to let go of what is familiar in order to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to its fullness. Because if not, it's just like dipping our toes. Oh, that feels nice. Woo! Yeah, that feels good. Hey, awesome. But God is saying, let go of what is familiar. Isaiah couldn't see the fullness of God's outpouring until Uzziah died. You say, okay, that's nice, that's Old Testament. Okay, let's just go to the book of Acts. The disciples couldn't see the fullness of the Holy Spirit until they let go of Jesus. I ended last Sunday with a very simple question. If you had a choice between having Jesus in the flesh by your side or the Holy Spirit within you, what would you choose? And most of us, if we're being honest, we would choose Jesus in the flesh because we're thinking, there's somebody tangible, he's got my back, I can see it. But God himself, Jesus himself says, in John 16, 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. You have to have a picture this morning of a dying king that leads to a living God. A dying crutch that leads to something that is limitless. No crutch, no limits. No lids. No anything. Constant pouring. Niagara Falls pouring. 
I don't know about you, but you can be like 500 feet away from the falls and be drenched because of the overflow of that flow, of that river. As soon as it hits the bottom, it creates this incredible atmosphere of mist and of water, and it literally feels like you're being rained on even though the sky is perfectly blue and sunny. The overflow is what God wants you to see. But we have to let go of what is familiar. What do we do? Well, we create scenarios and we create situations that we declare to God, whether it's verbally or whether it's just in our mind, we say, God, okay, I want you to move like this. Or God, I would be comfortable to see this happen, but I'm not so comfortable with that. Can I speak from personal experience? Um, The only thing trying to, uh, you know, strike a deal with God on the Holy Spirit that really happens is you get stuck sitting in a blue chair looking at other people getting baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and touched with the things of the Spirit. And you know what happened to me? It happened to me in January of 1997. I came one night. My mom dragged me. She dragged me, kicking and screaming. 22-year-old that was kicking and screaming like a little child. I know, trust me, it happened. And I sat at the back. And you know what bothered me probably more than anything else? Is I was looking for the first hour and a half at all these people that I had grown up with. All these kids that I was in high school with. All these kids that I was in kids ministry with. And I'm looking at them and seeing something happening in their life. And I'm like, there's no way that they could be making that up. There's just no way that they could be making that up. There's no way that could be just be made up like that. I know those guys. And then something started stirring up inside of me. Do you want it? Honestly, and then I was faced with a decision. Well, either pride's going to stay and I'm not going to see the revelation of God, or pride's going to die. Pride died that night. And I had two people that helped carry me out after three hours of being on the floor and I couldn't move. I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. The next Sunday came and I was trying to drive home and I got to the end of the parking lot and I got zapped by the Holy Spirit in my car before I turned onto Highway 2. And about an hour and a half later, when the pastor actually closed up the church and turned all the lights off and was leaving, he saw me on the side of the street. (laughs) He comes over, you okay? Yeah! (laughs) I'm okay! God's good! Do you need to drive home? Sure! So he drove me home, left my car at the church on the side of the road. So I couldn't do anything else. I was messed. But you know what happened that day? I let go of my comfort zone. I let go of my familiar settings and my familiar surroundings. And I said, God, I would just want you. And I don't care what you got to do. I just want you to move. I'm getting outside of what is familiar. And I'm believing, God, that you're going to touch me in what's unfamiliar. You say, what does that look like for me? I don't know. I know what it looked like for me. It's going to be different for you. There's no formula. There's just surrender. Position yourself. Surrender. Position yourself with what's unfamiliar. Why? Because then God will touch you and move in your life. Amen? All right. That was good. Good point, Cameron. Thank you. All right. Point two. Position yourself with his holy, not his glory. And I'm going to explain this before you throw things at me. Um, I love the fact that over 30 times, Isaiah references the Holy One of Israel as a description of God in this book. I'm going to read uh, verse 2 and verse 3. It says, Above it stood seraphim. Interestingly enough, 
Um, this is actually the, old, the only Old Testament reference to seraphim uh, in the Old Testament. There's only one reference to seraphim in the New, and it's in Revelation chapter 4, where they're literally declaring the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. But it says, above stood two seraphim with all those things on their body. And it says in verse 3, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You have to understand, back in those days, there was no way that the Bible writers or the authors of the Bible could, could underline things, bold things, italicize things, or put any emojis on anything. There was no such thing as emojis back then. I know it's shocking. But... So the only way they could do it is to repeat a phrase or repeat a word multiple times to get your attention. So if you can understand it from this concept, he's actually not saying holy, holy, holy. He's saying, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what they're yelling. They're yelling it so loud that the foundation of the temple and the foundation of the place they were in were shaking. That's what he's yelling. Interestingly enough, the word for seraphim means burning ones. As soon as I read that, I go, burning with passion. Ah, just burning with passion. God, I don't want to settle for second best. God, I want your best this morning. But I want, I want to share with you a little insight that actually Carlin gave to me this week, and I thought it was awesome. Think about this for a second. It doesn't say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All of heaven is full of his glory. The seraphim are prophesying over earth the glory of God to cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. They're seeing something that unfortunately most churches don't see. But I want our church to see that he's prophesying the glory of God. The word glory here is the Hebrew word kabod, which literally means the majestic splendor and weighty presence of God. That's what he wants us to see. So how do we get there? How do we understand his glory? Well, interestingly enough, he describes holy first, then glory. Can I say this morning, the people who walk in the holy of God experience his glory. Holiness leads to glory. Glory does not lead to holiness. I've seen people that have experienced you know, some amazing moments and then go back to more, the next day and just revert back to the same old people they've always been. And then I honestly wonder, okay, was that real? Was that significant? Was it genuine? But in Isaiah 35, verse 8, he describes this picture of the highway of holiness. And I'm going to read the Message Bible of this version. It says this, There will be a highway called the Holy Road. No one rude or rebellious is permitted on this road. It's for God's people exclusively. Impossible to get lost on this road. Not even fools can get lost on it. So that gives me hope. So that's awesome. No lions on this road. No dangerous wild animals. Nothing and no one dangerous or threatening. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The people God has ransomed will come back on this road. They'll sing as they make their way home to Zion. Unfading halos of joy encircling their heads. Wow, that's... Kind of a prophetic picture of Acts chapter 2. Welcomed home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night. Holy attracts His glory. Holy sustains His glory. I can honestly say I've been, I've been a part of different moves of God, moves of the Holy Spirit, 
And one of the most upsetting things for me is how little, how little they last. And one of the things that I've constantly done is looked at it and say, okay, God, why? Why is it that something came for a week or two weeks or a month or a couple months and then it just doesn't last? And I keep coming back to the same answer. I don't have another answer. I wish I could come up with another answer, but this is the only thing I can land on. Because the church left the highway of holiness. And as a result, the glory was not sustained. And so for me, I keep coming back to, God, how do we get there? How do we position ourselves for his holy? Well, it's pretty simple. It's not more complicated than this. What is God putting his finger on in your life? And for every single person in this room, it's going to be something totally different. But what is God putting his finger on in your life? What is it? And the moment he puts his finger on it, don't let pride happen. Don't let pride settle in. Do exactly what Pastor Ray said this morning. Surrender. God, I surrender that to you. God, I recognize, Lord God, that that's not bringing me freedom. It's not bringing me an outpouring. It's not getting me anywhere. If anything, it's getting me frustrated. So, Lord, I'm going to surrender that thing this morning. Key number three, and this is where I've landed for the last couple of days. Position your home for the supernatural. Huh. Isaiah 6, verse 4, it says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, <coughs> and the house was filled with smoke. God shakes us in our lives to see what's going to remain. Just like the prospectors would take those, those um, I don't even know what they call them, but the filters, those things that they would literally shake out all the rocks just to see what would come through or what would remain. It's the same thing with God. God shakes our lives. He shakes our circumstances in order to see, are we holding on to him or are we holding on to something else? And the moment he shakes us, sometimes it's uncomfortable in the moment, but God's shaking for a reason because he knows what's on the other side. And what's interestingly enough here is that what remains is where the outpouring touches. It's what remains. I've always asked this question. I wonder if it was 120 people that started in the upper room or that ended in the upper room, or if there was more and it ended up at 120, or if it was 120 and by the end there was only 50. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we can land on the concept of 120, but then I thought to myself, maybe there was 200 that started or 300, and it made it down to 120. But what remains will experience the outpouring. I want you to think this morning, and I want you to dream with me this morning. Can you see your house filled with the presence of God? Can you see your home be a haven of rest for those that are hurting and weary? A place of deliverance, a place of miracles, a place of healing, a place where the gospel is preached and people come to Christ. Can you see that this morning? Can you believe God that if we position ourselves at home, everything can change? How do we have to position ourselves and how do we position our home? Verse 5 gives a lot away. It says, woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me for I am undone. I can remember January of 1997, the first thing that happened to me was the moment God came. I just saw literally before my eyes all of these things that I had done as a direct affront to God. And in that moment, I just cried out in repentance. I said, God, forgive me. 
Something broke in my heart that day, and then the Spirit of God came and filled it. You know, the Holy Spirit is drawn to brokenness. Isaiah 66, verse 2, On this one will I look, but he who is broken and contrite and who trembles at my word. Broken and contrite. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice the order of Isaiah's response. The first person he looked at, the first person he wanted to deal with was himself. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live with a people who have unclean lips. First thing we got to do is look inwardly. Can I just be really, really honest this morning and just kind of reveal all of our patterns for a second? And I want to say right off the bat, we all do this, okay? Every one of us does this. Now, obviously social media has changed this dynamic a little bit, but I'm still going to go with the fact that I think this happens in most cases. Do you know that you can have an opinion or a negative opinion or just a, a frustrated opinion or a complaining opinion, and where that often comes out is at home? You're not going to say it at work. Some people do. Some pe- that's why you're no longer having lunch in the lunchroom, because you're tired of hearing it. So you're going to go have it at your own desk, right? But at the end of the day, most of the negativity or the stuff we struggle with comes out at home, right? So... Sometimes we look at it and go, well, you know, I'm just venting. Well, I do believe that you have to have moments where you can get things off your chest. I think there's a, there's a pattern, there's a way you can do that. But I also think we can get into a pattern, right? That just becomes the norm. And I honestly believe that our heart attitude towards the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has to start first by saying, God, I'm going to clean up the way that I speak about you and situations and circumstances and other people at home because I want my home to be a haven where you're welcomed. Where your presence can come and the miraculous can come and the supernatural can come and we can see things happen in our churches and in our lives. I mean, we can come to church and have a great moment. But have you ever wondered why that sometimes doesn't go home? And for me, where I'm at and it's been bothering me all week is I keep saying, Lord, I want our house to be like that. And I know it's been like that at times, but I want that all the time. Lord, I want our home just to be like, people walk across the door and they feel the presence of God. It's like, God, I want to see that every single time. I want people to just come in there and just feel something they've never felt before in their life. Maybe it's peace, maybe it's joy, I don't know. But I want to see that happen. God understands and knows the power of the tongue. (laughs) Which is why I find it very ironic that the outpouring in the book of Acts got their tongues. Didn't get anything else. Initial evidence, their tongue. Very interesting. It's time to position our home to be a house for his glory. Verse 6 and 7, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Hmm. I've always wondered, Lord, why didn't you, like, because this... I believe, was a dream or a vision that he was having. Why in the world didn't he cleanse his heart? Right? But I thought to myself, you know, unclean lips always reveal an unclean heart. So it was a symbolic act of, God, there's something going on inside of you that you've got to deal with. Now, the one thing I've learned from my own life is all he needs is surrender. The moment it happens, anything is possible from that moment on. It's all. It's all he needs. 
interesting here as well. He says, your iniquity is taken away. And for those that know their Hebrew and the, you know, their language behind the, some of the meaning of the Bible, the word there is actually the word avon, not, not giving away makeup or anything like that. But it's the word avon, and it's the exact same word used in Isaiah 53, verse 5, where it literally describes the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, who was bruised for our iniquities, bruised for our avon. He took it away. The moment sin was dealt with, do you want to see something really, really cool? The moment sin was dealt with, he heard the voice of God. The exact same moment he dealt with his sin, Isaiah 6, 8 happens. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. You know one thing that I found very interesting about this call for Isaiah? Is the call for Isaiah did not come in a command, but came in the form of a question. And I've often asked myself, why? Why did it come in the form of a question and not a command? Jesus could have very easily, God could have very easily just commanded him, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. But that didn't happen. It came in the form of a question. I believe for us today, it's very significant and it's very simple. I believe he's coming here this morning and asking the very same thing, not from a command, not get your life right now or else. He's simply saying, Hey, um, who wants more? Who wants more? There comes a moment in your life where you get really sick and tired of the day-to-day junk that you see all the time. And it literally feels like that old movie Groundhog Day where you get up and here we go again, boom, 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 repeat the whole same thing. Here we go, boom, repeating the same thing. You know, for some of us, like for me, it's like, You know, you could easily get caught up in the same old, same old, same old. And there comes a moment where God's response after we deal with the things of our lives, because we've positioned ourselves for an outpouring, He comes and He asks a question. To some in the New Testament, He said, what would you like from me? I want to be healed, Lord. Hmm. Some of you need to say that today. Because he's coming and he's here right now and he's saying, what would you like from me? Do you want the more? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.